Hey, let me add my word of welcome to you today. We're delighted that you're here. I'm so glad to see you. Look at the person beside you and say, I'm so glad you came. Tell them that real quick. Will you do that? No, you don't have time to get their number right now. Just um, let's move on, okay? And I want to welcome those who are at home worshiping with us online. We're so glad to have you as well. Now, we're starting a new series today, and it's on David. And you're going to hear some things that you've heard before, but you're also going to hear some new things in this series. I'm going to touch on the story of David and Goliath today, and we're going to learn some things from that. But, but this whole series is going to look at a lot of different aspects of David's life. Now, I've been to Israel twice, and when you go over there, one thing to note, you know, when it talks about uh, the Philistines being on one hill and the Israelites being on another hill and they come down in the valley of Elah and they fight, you know, you think about it's like a, a, a drop off, a cliff or something, but it's not that way. It's kind of like the rolling hills, although it could be high enough to be a mountain, it just slopes down into the valley. It's easy to just walk down there and, and go into the valley. And that's what was taking place. And they took us out about an hour southwest of Jerusalem when I was there, and they said somewhere here is where this battle took place. And the Bible spells it out pretty clearly. You don't know exactly, but you can kind of get an idea. And if you just Google it, it'll show you the Valley of Elah. And in some of the pictures that you see, it'll actually diagram, you know, which side they were on and so forth. So it, it's, it comes to life when you go there, and uh, it's very meaningful. The stories uh, that David, about his life and the, and the lessons we're going to learn from him are going to be a great blessing to us. Now, uh, the story begins in the 11th century, and it says in 1 Samuel, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkah in Judah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And then it says, um, uh, his, let's see, the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out with the Philistine camp, and his height was six cubits and a span. And everybody knows what that is, right? Six cubits and a span, because that's the way you measure today, isn't it? No. Nine and a half feet tall, okay, roughly nine. So this guy's really a giant because most people back then, they say, were about 5'3 to 5'9. And you'll see that Saul, who was the king of the Israelite army, he was at least 6'2. He was head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. But he's not nine and a half feet tall, okay? And then it goes on. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and an iron point weighed 600 shekels, okay? And then it goes on, and it says, which is about six feet long, weighed 15 pounds. And then Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of the Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? See, Saul was the first king of Israel at the time. And he says, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your servants. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then it goes on and he says, then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let, me fight, let us fight each other. 
Hearing the Philistines' word, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, here's what I want you to see. Here's the picture. Every day, Goliath comes into the valley. Every day, he taunts the Israelites. Twice a day, he makes this speech, and he says, send somebody down. Come on, let's go. I want to fight. Bring them on. And he's the champion. And then here's the other thing you see, that um, we see that Saul is the king, uh, and he's really handsome. The, the Bible tells us that he's a good-looking guy. He's real tall. I mean, he's just head and shoulders above everybody else. It's no wonder that they put him in charge. He just looks like a king, right? If I were just taller, can you imagine what I could have accomplished? <laughs> but I'm not bitter. Let's move on, all right? So, so they placed their hope in the king, and that was their fatal flaw. You see, when you and I place our hope in some person and not in God, what happens? We always get disappointed, right? Because people are people and we're not perfect and we make mistakes. And that's what they did. They placed their hope in their king. And this is how this relates to you and me. We place our hope in what we depend on. We place our hope in who we depend on. So think about that and think about the people that you depend on and think about how that none of them can take God's place. And, and when that person that we have our hope in disappoints us, then it, it leads to us having a feeling of disdain and anger and certainly disappointment toward them. And that's why some of us have disappointment in our parents, right? Because as children, we looked up to them and we thought they were larger than life and they could do anything. My dad can beat your dad up, that kind of thing, you know. But, but you know what? We look at that. And we realize, but, but I grew up and, and they're not perfect, right? And then we get all judgmental and we tell them how sorry they are sometimes, you know. But then God has a way of getting back at us because we grow up and have kids. That's right. And then our kids tell us how sorry we are. See, that happens, doesn't it? And so we go, you know, my parents weren't so bad after all. Let's just, let's cheer for them a little bit, right? And so we want to put our hope in God. And, and here's the deal. Saul is over here with the Israelite army, and he's inside his tent. And Goliath is down there in the valley yelling at him twice a day. This is going on for a month. And, and the Israelite army is out there waiting to see what's going to happen, and they're saying, well, we're going to send Saul down there to fight. He's the biggest guy. He's the king. He's the soldier. He's the one who can beat any, if anybody can. But, you know, Goliath is nine and a half feet tall. So there's this stalemate between these two armies, and nothing's really happening there because God knew that what we need to do is put our trust and our faith and our hope in him. And so what happened was is that Israel wanted a king. If you go back before this story, they wanted a king. About 400 years before this event, God established in Israel a theocracy. A theocracy is a nation of laws administered by judges. God would be the king. He would issue the law. The judges would then administer the law. But Israel complained about that to their authority, Samuel the prophet Samuel. And, and so here's what happened. In 1 Samuel, it says this, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders, but his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted judgment. They were corrupt. And then it goes on and says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, 
You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint to us a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Now here's what I want you to see. What are they doing? They're looking at what God has given them and they're looking around at all the other nations and they're saying, you know what? This was okay back in the old days, but you know what? The culture around us has, it's, it's morphed. It's different. It's changed. And we want to be like them. They've got a new way of doing things. It's a better way of doing things. We don't want to do things the way we've always done it before. We want you to give us a king. It's like they're saying, all the cool kids have a king. All the cool nations have a king. Where's our king? We want a king too. And the story continues. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen, to all that the people are saying to you, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Now listen, anybody who's reading this story, that's when it goes, Dun, dun, dun. Right there, right? Because you know that we're making a bad choice. I mean, you can just see it coming. Why would you want to go away from what you've always had? You're the chosen race. God has given you a blessing. He's got a covenant with you, but you want to do things your own way. And so he says this. Now listen to them. This is God speaking to the prophet Samuel. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Okay, you can have a king, but I want, I'm going to tell you up front what's going to happen. Okay, are you ready? The first thing that's going to happen is your new king is going to tax you, right? How many of you paid your taxes? How many of you have not paid your taxes? How many of you are just going to get an extension? How many of you are in fugitives now, running from the law? I just thought I'd mention that because I don't want you to forget, okay? So they're going to make you pay taxes. Then they're going to take a percentage of your crops and herds, and they're going to draft your sons, and they're going to put your daughters into service, and they're going to claim the best land. See, it all started right there. All that tax stuff started right there. They said... Don't confuse us with the facts. Our mind is made up. We want a king. And so at the nation's insistence, it set the stage for this narrative. Now what happens is Saul becomes the first king, and then David becomes the second king of Israel a little bit later on. And he becomes the greatest king that Israel will have for a lot of reasons. Number one, David is really a reluctant king. David is a shepherd. He's just a kid, and he's not sitting out there in the field watching the sheep going, you know, if I could have a dream job of all the things I could do, I'd like to be king. Could we just work that out so that I'd be in charge? He's not doing that. That hadn't even crossed his mind. It's not on his radar. But here's the other thing about him that's kind of unusual. He's confident. He's not wanting the job, but he's confident. But his confidence is not in himself. His confidence is in God. 
I know God. I love God. God loves me. I know what God teaches. I know what he wants me to do. I have got confidence in God. God can make a way when there is no way. He can do anything he wants to. I can't do anything, but God can. And so I trust him. And so what you also see is that David is humble. He's humble. He's saying, I know my place. I am limited. There are only certain things I can do, but God can do anything. And I'm the king, but he's the real king, okay? And he knows his place. And David was unusual because he actually loved the law. Most kings did not love the law. Most kings wanted to be the law. They would say, I'm going to issue an edict, and here's what we're going to do. And then if they changed their mind, they'd say, okay, we'll scrap that. We're going to do this. We're going in a different direction. David loved the law even when the law condemned him. If God confronted him and said, you're wrong, David, he said, you're right, I'm so sorry. I made a mistake. Please forgive me. You're the king. You're in charge. You make the choices. I, I just, I'll listen to you. Please forgive me. And so, you know, kings are always changing and adjusting things, but David was willing to be broken even by the law, by God. Throughout literature, David wrote, and he tells us a lot of things. And, and so it's interesting that he never confuses his identity as the king of Israel with the king, the, the one and only true God. Despite his popularity and his success, despite his talent and his extraordinary power, he says, hey, listen, I know where that comes from. I know who put me here. I know that, that I don't stand on my own two feet, but it's God, and I'm grateful to him. For many people, that's not the success story. For many people, it's not the case. Because what happens is when you have a little bit of success, you begin to think that you're better than you are, and you get what's called a little bit too big for your britches, right? That's right. That's exactly right. And then you start thinking, well, I can just do anything, but that's not true. And, and all of a sudden, we start sitting on the throne of our lives, right? And that's not what we're called to do. So let's go back to the story. In 1 Samuel, it says this, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, there's a nine-and-a-half-foot-tall giant down in the valley, and he wants to go one-on-one, -on -one, and who are we going to send down there? We need a champion. And that's when this little kid, 15 years old maybe, somewhere in that range, a shepherd boy shows up. Now, his dad sends him with food. Go check on your brother. See how the battle's going. Because you can't just turn on the TV and watch news back then. You can't go to Publix and buy a newspaper. You just got to get word of mouth. So he goes over to where the battle is. And he's, he's, he's just like any kid, he's going up to the front. Let's see what's going on. And there's people standing beside him there. And he hears Goliath taunting the Israelite army twice a day for a month. This is going on. But instead of being dismayed and terrified, David is offended by the giant. And so he starts asking questions of the guys who are around him. He says things like, he says, uh, well, what are we going to do with this? I mean, who's going to fight him? What's going to happen? And, and what we see here is that David has clarity that comes from God that none of these other guys have. There's not one person in the Israelite army who's looking at this situation the way David's getting ready to look at it, okay? 
Here's what he says. David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel, removes, you know, Goliath from Israel? And all these men are going, huh? Did you say something? Who's this kid? Who let him in here? You know, go back and take care of the sheep. You know, what are you talking about? Who are you anyway? And why haven't they seen it that way? What, what are they seeing? All they see is a nine and a half foot tall giant with extraordinary experiences. This is a tested veteran of war. And, and they're thinking, we're going to get the biggest guy we got, the guy we look up to, Saul. We're going to get the king to go down and fight him because he's the only one who comes close to as big of a size as him. And he's saying, what are you talking about, this disgrace from Israel? And then David says this. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Nobody is asking that question because David is looking at this guy and he's saying, that man is outside the covenant of Israel. He's outside of God's protection. And God can defeat anybody, anytime, anywhere. And he's, he's taunting God's people, the Israelite people. And none of those folks there are even looking at it that way. Goliath and the Philistines are trying to take the land that has been promised to the Israelites. So if they are enemies of the Israelites, they are enemies of God. That's what he's saying. And that's what he's thinking about. You know, David's going, why hasn't anybody done anything about this? And they're all going... I don't know. And they're looking at the ground because they don't want to have to do it. And word gets back to King Saul that there is somebody who has shown up and raised their hand and says, put me in, coach. I'll take out the giant. And Saul's a little encouraged by that. He's in his tent. And, and so he's waiting on somebody to come. Now, day after day, they've been waiting on Saul to come out of the tent. And every day, their hope is just going down further and further. They, they're waiting on him to do what needs to be done, but he's not doing. And, and so Saul says, well, bring him in here. And Saul takes a look at David. David walks into the tent, and Saul is immediately disappointed. You're kidding this is the best they could come up with out of the whole army. This kid, they sent me this kid. Go, just go back. I don't even need you. Because he looks at him and he says, well, he's not a soldier. He doesn't have any scars. He doesn't have any military experience. What's he possibly going to be able to do? And then he says, what do you do for a living? He says, well, I'm a shepherd. And he's going, great. He tends sheep. Boy, that'll be great, won't it? We'll send him out there. Well, that'll just be, he'll be barbecued in no time, right? And so, but then David said, no, wait just a minute. Wait, let me just tell you what God has done. And he talks about how he's watching the sheep and a lion comes along with God's strength. He's able to take the sheep back from the lion and kill the lion. And then he says, I'm able to kill a bear because God gave me the strength to kill the bear when I'm tending the sheep. And then he says this, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Now think about that. If with God's help, you've already killed a lion and a bear, what's this giant? I mean, you know, think about it. If you've been victorious because of God, God can win this battle. And so he says, he says this is what's going to happen. Because, not because I'm a soldier, 
and not because I have military experience, but because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of a lion and the paw of a bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. See how he gives God credit all the time? It's not just in his mind. He, he knows it. It's not just something he's thinking. He's telling everybody who will listen, hey, God's in charge. He's on the throne. That's where my confidence is. That's where my hope is. That's where my faith is. He's the one that will be victorious. There's absolutely no confusion in David's mind. He's got clarity. I know my place, and I know God's place, and I'm going to be on God's side, and he can do whatever he wants to. So it's amazing to me. He sees, hey, these are just enemies of God, so they're our enemies too. And he's saying your hope has to be in the Lord. You don't need to be afraid even when there's a reason to be afraid. I mean, if you've got to go fight that, that giant nine and a half feet tall, that would be a reason to be afraid. But he's saying, no, God's got it. And so King Saul, he's saying, pick me, pick me, pick me, you know. And Saul says, okay, let's let him go. Now, the interesting thing about David is that we learn about him through stories of the Bible, but we also learn about him through his writing. He was a writer. He was a poet. He was a psalmist. He was a songwriter. And so when we read the Bible, we get kind of an inside view of what he's thinking and who he really is. Not just the great stories about him, but we really see his heart. We get to know him. And then in Psalm, it says, in you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. That's what David wrote. He's, he's telling, he's confessing. It's a testimony. It's something he really believes. And he tells everybody, where's your trust, David? Is it in your talent? Is it in your power? Is it in your ability? Is it in your influence as king? No, no, no. I put my trust in the Lord. And then he says this in Psalm 25, no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. He's talking about the Lord. And then he writes something else that most kings won't write. He says, guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you. Sometimes, occasionally, when it's easy, all day Long Every day, all day long, my hope is in you. So back to the story. Here comes this kid. He's clear-eyed. He's confident. He's humble. And he makes his way down to the Valley of Elah. Now, I want you to imagine what happened when he went down there, okay? Here's what I think happened. The Bible doesn't tell us this, okay? This is from the concordance of Job. So don't get this confused, okay? I'm not telling you this is in the Bible. I'm just telling you that it's a thought, Okay? I think that possibly when they sent little David down there to fight the giant, that all the people who were Philistines started laughing. This is the best they've got. Are you kidding me? Man, they're already counting all the things that are going to come their way when they take over the Israelites and they get all that they have. They, they've already figured out, hey, this is, this is a piece of cake. I mean, they may be making bets up there. I don't know. But, you know, this is easy. This, this won't take long at all. Now, while the Philistines are laughing, you know what I think the Israelites are doing? I think they're crying. That's what I think they're doing. 
wait a minute, we were going to send Saul down there. At least we know he's been in war. He's got a lot of history. He's got a lot of experience. He can do something. This is the, Saul has lost it. He's sending that kid down there, and that's going to that's gonna make our future happen. This kid, because he loses the battle, we're just going to be slaves to these people now. What in the world is he thinking? And you can see it on both sides. Is this a joke? No, it's not a joke. It's real. And they can't imagine what's going on. What has he thought? And Goliath repeats his threats. And David waits. And then he says, hey, you come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And this battle is going to be his. Hey, trash talking wasn't anything he couldn't handle. <laughs> and Because he, he, he's talking about God and what God's going to do. And then what do we see? David goes down into the valley and he kills the giant. And the Philistines are just shocked. And instantly David becomes the most famous person, the hero of Israel. And he becomes the most feared person by the Philistine army. And the Philistines make a tragic mistake at this point. They make the decision to retreat. I mean, they just turn and run, and the Israelites are all pumped up because they thought they were going to lose, and now they can win, and they take off after the Philistines. And the Bible says that the battle lasted all day long. The slaughter just went on and on and on, and the Israelites just took them out one by one all day long. And, and you begin to see those who walk humbly with God wake up every day and realize, you know, there are things beyond my control. There are outcomes I can't do anything about, but God can. And so I'm not going to trust myself. I'm going to trust God. In you, my Lord, God, I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long. I want you to try to remember that phrase. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long. And I'm going to repeat that theme through this series. I'm going to repeat that for you so that you remember it because we're going to see examples of David when he really carries that out. And he's a great witness. And then we're going to see other examples of David when he doesn't and he chokes and he starts trusting himself and he's afraid and he runs away and he hides. And so, but, but he comes back to God. He always comes back. Imagine waking up tomorrow and making that decision before you get out of bed. You know, in you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long. What about driving to the office? You got to go in and go to work and you're thinking, boy, there's something I got to deal with this morning. I don't want to have to deal with it. But you know what? My hope is in you all day long. Imagine in the midst of your greatest success. And all eyes are on you, and, and you're the smartest person in the room at that moment. You whisper under your breath what David must have whispered a thousand times. Oh, Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long. And in those moments when it looks like the world is going to win and the giant is going to defeat you, you just continue to whisper that under your breath. My hope is in you all day Long, And so what happens is that David just continues to say that. He continues to believe that. He continues to embrace that. And what he does is he never gets confused about his place and about God's place. 
And so the question I want to ask you this morning is this. Is it possible that you have put yourself on the throne of your life? Have you said, you know what? I want to be king. I want to be in charge. I want to make all the decisions. I want to do what I want to do. And I'm not going to consult anybody and I'm not going to listen. Now, maybe you haven't been that brazen about it, but maybe it's something that's just kind of happened over time. And you don't really realize it, but you've just continued to move in that direction. And, you know, what happens is you stop listening to the still, small voice of God. The Holy Spirit, you know, he's still talking to you. You're just not listening, right? And he's trying to get your attention. And he's trying to say, you know what? You can do that if you want to, but it's not going to end well. You need to move in a different direction. David was flawed. He was a flawed king. He was a flawed man. He was not perfect. But he never lost the identity of who he was and who God was. And I'm going to put my trust in the Lord all day long was what happened to him. Now, what we're going to see in this series is there were instances when he didn't do that very well. But we'll have to talk about that next time. You'll have to come back then, all right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you teach us all the time, every day. You do it when we read your word. You do it when we pray and we listen to you respond to us and speak to us. You do it when we're in small group and growth group any kind of study. You do it when we're with other Christians who just kind of share something. We know that you use them to give us a message from the throne. Lord, just help us to be open and available and listening. And Lord, then help us to apply what we hear. Help us to do something about it, to move in the right direction, to just trust you all day long. We pray in your son's name and all God's children said,